Yeah. Okay. It's working. Um, oh. Okay. So we'll start now. Hello. This is the fourth podcast of Speaker for Female Homeless. Today we have another special guest, Maya, who is an interdisciplinary artist and designer, and her work exposes the disparities of race, class, and gender in India for critiquing the traditions that enforce them. Mm-hmm. So could you mind for having me here today? Sure. Thank you for coming to um, have this interview. So first, we would like to start off. um, So could you briefly introduce yourself? So uh, yeah, I'm I'm Maya Vardraj. I am an artist, interdisciplinary artist. I live and work out of New York right now. Um, But I grew up in India and I try to focus my work on empowering South Asian women and women globally. So could you explain when and why did you start making art? Yeah, so I, you know, this is always a difficult question to answer because there was not like one point where I was like, oh, I'm gonna start making art. I felt like I was trying different things. I actually studied design for six years And I always kept coming back to um, sort of like critiquing social um, behaviors or like policies. And I just felt like my work was positioned more as um, art than you would say design. And it's unfortunate that those labels exist today because I feel like you, it should be whatever you want it to be, um, you know, and you should be whoever you want to be. But unfortunately, we have these sort of like labels that try and put us in a box. So I would say that in the way that we define art, I guess I started making art, you know, when I was in grad school, I felt like my, um, my work um, sort of naturally gravitated towards wanting to um, like, share my circumstances with people and also like try my best to like empower people who might not have the same sort of privileges. Yeah, and you mentioned um, that you focus on revealing um, like gender issues about South Asian women, but could you elaborate on what inspired you to kind of critique this culture in India? So I grew up in that. So, you know, before I moved to the United States for college in 2007, I, you know, I grew up in India, but I went to a boarding school um, and my family was, is very liberal. So I never really like, how do I say this? Like, I never really felt at home. um, Like when I had to actually like be in Indian society, because it was like constant criticism for either the way I looked or the way I spoke or the way I like carried myself, right? And um, I always thought that it was like an issue with me and like, you know, my behavior. So I, it was like, now I'm realizing that it was a way to like silence women, right? Because, and in those instances, because it usually happens like in your family or like in your extended family, you feel very isolated and, um, I didn't realize that like a lot of women were going through the same thing. So um, 
when I, when I moved to the States and when I started sort of like making my work and talking to people, I realized that I wasn't the only one, you know, and the problem wasn't actually me. It was like a societal problem and a patriarchal problem. So um, I think that's what sort of like inspired me to be like, there's a different perspective here, right? And we have to we really have to figure out what that different perspective is and where it can lead us because there is a new generation to look after. Um, and if we want change, then we have to sort of start making those changes and questioning those things right now. And so I think that's what inspired me to, to bring that sort of critical aspect to my work. I see. So when you said that you um, kind of focused on women's rights in India, you mm -hmm. also, um, in one of your interviews that we watched, um, you mentioned glass bangles. Yeah. Could you elaborate that on that and what like what that signifies. Sure. Yeah. Um, so when I was a child, I knew that breaking glass bangles was like unlucky or like it was like a taboo thing. Um, and you know, like my brothers never wore glass bangles, so they never had these problems. I grew up with two brothers. Um, but I, I mean, I never really like questioned why or like, I, it just sort of like left my mind. Um, and a lot of people sort of like misunderstand these objects as just like fashion accessories or something beautiful to like adorn women. But there's a lot more sort of like subjugation and violence that's embedded within the actual object. And it goes so far as to sort of like seep into our political vernacular and language as well. So. Um, glass bangles are worn in certain societies in India where um, when you're married, you wear them as a symbol that you're now married, you're unavailable. Um, and there are other signifiers, you know, of the same sort, like if you, you know, sometimes women wear like a red powder in their hair and it's actually really toxic, like the material is actually really toxic, but they continue to do it because a, it protects them from men who might think that they're available and um, B, it's like a sign of respect to their husband, right? So glass bangles sort of are function in the same way. Um, but there is a tradition where once you're married, like the first, first day that you're married, you have to wear them for 30 days after that. Um, and you're not allowed to break these glass bangles within those 30 days. And if you do, then the woman is considered bad luck for her husband and his family, which is like, how does that make any sense, right? Like, how do you put, take this object, it's an inanimate object and you give it so much significance and you turn a living being as like this object of misfortune for someone else, you know? It's a way to sort of like assert your power over women um, and then, Subsequently, there are like religious festivals every day. I mean, I'm not every day, every year where um, the same women will have to fast for one day and wear these glass bangles to like ensure the longevity of their husbands. And politically speaking, like when before 1947, when we gained our independence, um, a lot of politics, like, like ways to politically shame men um, revolved around using these glass bangles. So supporters of the national movement would shame non-supporters of the national movement by giving them glass bangles as a way to be like, oh, you're like weak, like a woman, you know? Um, 
And consequently, you have women who wear them on a regular basis every day, which is already saying that like you're an inferior, you know, gender, um, which is unfortunate. So I started researching glass bangles when I realized that Uttar Pradesh is the largest manufacturer of glass bangles. Uttar Pradesh is a state in India. Um, and coincidentally, they also have like the highest cases of gang violence towards women. And I thought that that was like a really interesting connection. Um, and that's what got me to research the object itself. Um, you Could you show us some of your works um, that are based on these glass bangles? I sure, yeah. So the image that you're seeing right now um, is the installation that I made to, it, it, it started as like an act of protest, right? Like I was like, I'm going to break these glass bangles deliberately. Um, and so it started as a way of like figuring out um, how do I break them? Do I step on them? Do I throw them? Um, what can I put them in to like have all of them like break at one point where I'm not really like putting my body in danger, right? So I had this wet grinder, which is a common household appliance in India and we make our batter in it. Um, and I threw them in there and it worked beautifully because like the grinder actually works on a stone um, <clears throat> and it like ground them up like in like 30 seconds, it was all like powder. And I was like, this is amazing. So I wanted that to be like the beginning of the installation. Um, and since I was looking at a kitchen appliance, I was like, this makes a lot of sense because the kitchen and domestic duties are another way in which women um, are subjugated, right? And are sort of controlled, um, bound by their like familial and domestic roles. Um, so I connected it to a vacuum cleaner that would like safely move all of these like little particles into a mixing bowl. And then to my luck, I found this microwavable kiln um, that melts glass in a microwave. So um, we can go to the next slide. Oh, do you want to see a video of it being crushed? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So you can see the glass bangles there, and then once I turn it on, it just so then it like turns into powder. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, so this is the third station where I use the microwavable um kiln and melted into um, a Durga chakra. And I wanted to keep it within our culture because it's really important when you're looking at, um, you know, cultural materials that you're not sort of like looking to other cultures or especially colonial powers for um, their take on what feminism is or what empowerment is because that doesn't actually empower like the people that you're trying to empower, right? Um, so I wanted to keep it within our culture and, you know, um, what I find sad is that like the Hindu religion is so misinterpreted, right? Um, and there's actually so much value to being feminine and like, you know, being like a feminine power and Durga is like such a strong manifestation of that.
Um, and she uses this weapon called the Durga Chakra and it is used to obliterate ignorance, which I thought was really fitting. So I turned these into Durga Chakras and um, each of these chakras that are made um, are made by this like spinning motion. So, um, which is funny because even the bangles are made with like the spinning motion, but like the whole meaning changes, right? Um, so that's the whole project. So um, could you talk about another inspiration for your art, such as the 2012 and 2015 rape incidents and how you learned about those incidents and how that research did kind of developed into um, further artworks? Sure. Um, so in 2012, um, we had the Nirbhaya case in India, which was so sad. Um, I think it left the entire country just like shaken, upset, um, angry, just like it. And it changed a lot of laws, right? We had, you know, we had the government actually installed like expedi expedited ways of prosecuting these kind of crimes. And we thought that there was going to be change. Um, but then in 2015, there was this incident where a woman in Uttar Pradesh, she was gang raped and the perpetrators, she survived the rape, but the perpetrators, they video recorded the entire rape. Um, and this woman was married and she had basically the, the most violent like perpetrator or the one who instigated the violence had made like romantic gestures towards her and she sort of, um, rejected those things because she's she's a married woman and he got so angry that he decided to gang rape her right and video record the whole incident and send it to the entire village to shame her um, and she survived so she went to the local authorities and she said like you know who did this to me because you have the videos you've seen them arrest these people so I can like go on with my life right and so the local authorities were like, we can't do that because we feel like you're the one who, um, you basically solicited this kind of attention and you've brought like so much dishonor to your family by letting this happen. Um, so we suggest that you just ignore it um, and go on with your life. Um, and she was so disheartened, like this woman who was like a working woman because she was a health worker and even her like, daughter and her husband disowned her because they were like we're so ashamed of you right and I think that kind of isolation you know isolation that so many women feel um, on a regular basis she that led to her committing suicide right which is so upsetting because you have all the evidence right you don't need any more evidence to make this kind of arrest um, and yet like the blame is put on the woman, which it shook me to my core because I just like felt so sad about that. And I just like, did. I felt helpless. You know, I feel like a lot of women when they see other women going through this, like you feel helpless because, you know, you don't know how to relate to them, but at the same time you do. Um, and so I felt like I wanted to research this a little bit more, understand it and see like, where can I lend um, help in the way that I know best. Um, and I feel like I'm still working through that because, you know, like 
I know that like for the people that I'm trying to help, like art is not accessible to them, you know? Um, and that's like the biggest critique that I have of my own work. But I feel like if you want to help someone, you have to understand and articulate it for yourself before you can actually like go out and do something. Um, so I feel like that's where I am. So to change the topic from your works um, following the first installations that you showed us, you mm -hmm. also do work based on, you mentioned like calendar illustrations. So you would take pieces from calendars and collage them to create work. Yes. So could you explain um, your inspirations and your process? So um, calendars and calendar illustrations, and I know that this was very prominent in Southeast Asia as well, because you see similar calendar posters mm -hmm. um, in China. Um, but so these calendar illustrations, most of them are from pre, like, uh, pre-independent India, so before 1947, um, most of them ranging from like 1930 to 1940. Um, so they're very old images. Um, and again, they're domestic object, right? And the, the people who are living with them the most are these women who are at home. Um, and I felt very critical of these illustrations because I was like, look at these women, like they're just sort of like going about what they're told to do. Um, their environment is prescribed for them. Their behaviors are prescribed for them and they're teaching other women how to behave. So um, I sort of had them accompanying this like kitchen installation because again, they're another object in the home. Um, and I took these women out of like the domestic realm and I, totally like change their identity. I changed what they were doing, where they were to sort of, again, give a new perspective and narrative to what they could be doing, right? Um, so that's where I started researching calendar illustrations and I do more with it um, later on in my work as well. Oh, can you like go through some of the slides to show us? Sure. Um, so this was the next series of works that I did and they're painted photographs. Again, um, it was referencing a technique of art or image processing that was around at the same time. It was a very like colonial process. Um, and it's where, you, you know, like a family would go to um, a studio, take a photograph, and then um, the studio would actually like embellish it for them because it wasn't, you know, um, rich enough or it wasn't colorful enough because color photography was like very rare at that time. Um, and again, what I noticed was that the women in these images were like very docile, um, had familial sort of ties or they were like women of the court, right? So what I thought was missing is that like, I had developed this like new relationship with machines when I had started working on um, the installation. So I was like, when I look at images of women and machines, it's very like sexualized or like positioned to sell like cars or um, appliances or whatever it is, right? So it's very like commodity focused. Um, but what we fail to see is that like machines in themselves are like a stand-in and a symbol for like progression and autonomy that like women aren't really afforded. So I wanted to pair the machine and the woman together and sort of like put them in these weird, um, 
put them in these like weird um, settings where it's not so domestic, you know, it could be anywhere. Maybe even there's like neglect of domestic duties. For example, like with these plants, like um, are they overgrown? Are they like tended to? There's so many of them, you know, there's nothing else. Like um, what's going on? And the way that I tie like the machine to the woman is to sort of like paint them the same way and have them have the same patterns. So after the paint, this is another painted photograph. Um, and again, I'm like referencing like um, the gestures of the women fr directly from either the calendar illustrations or painted photographs that already exist. So um, I didn't really have to like make up um, too many of these like gestures and these photographs photographs are of me so I was like running back and forth on a self timer so it had like this performative quality to it as well and then these are other versions this is like the later version of the the uh, painted photographs where I was like painting a little bit more traditionally and then we have these new collages Um, so when we were looking at your Instagram, we found that you have highlights about the various stories of women who left comments about the discriminations that gone yeah. and like sexist remarks that they had faced. So could you share some of like the memorable or yeah, memorable comments sure. that you got? Yeah, um, let me get to that. Um, so, um, I had, I had shared a painting. Um, you actually saw that painting. It was like me on the machine with like red and like the spots. Um, <clears throat> and I had posted a story of like when one of my aunts told me that my skin looked burnt and like I had so many pimples and like she didn't think that I actually looked like this. And it was like, I was like, okay. Um, so I asked people to share their stories, like impolite conversations that they had had um, with people. And I, I guess I have like a large South Asian woman, female following. So I was just sort of like surprised that so many women went through the same thing, you know? And you would think that it would stop perhaps at like my generation, but it was like, as you can see here, like someone was making comments on a 14 day, um, 14 day old baby, right? Um, and you don't want like the newer generations to be facing this kind of like comments and discrimination because you don't want them to carry it on, right? Um, and you also saw like inter-Asian um, discrimination where um, you had East Asians making like comments about South Asians and South Asians making comments about East Asians, which is unfortunate because, you know, we've all had been discriminated towards and we need to like band together versus like trying to create more diversity and division amongst ourselves. Um, so it was eye-opening for me and it sort of made me like think about how do I think about skin tone, right? And how do you express that in a way that might be equitable to everyone? So in response to some of the stories that people had shared, um, what do you think needs to take place or should happen in order for 
these aspects of like generational gaps and traditions to improve or change? Um, that's a really good but difficult question to answer. Um, I think that change always starts at the micro level and then expands to the macro level, right? So I think that what was interesting was that most of these things that were um, said to me or like even the women or the men that were sharing these stories were happening in like very intimate settings. So when these things happen, like you need to start questioning them and like people need to start standing up for themselves and say like, what you said was not okay, you know, or, but that's difficult because um, I think that when you do express yourselves, like sometimes these comments are like almost made like as a joke. Mm -hmm. So when you respond to it, it's like, oh, you're so sensitive or you can't take a joke, right? Um, but that's not the case. Like, um, and I think that people need to understand that these are very like, these are very like disheartening um, insults to get because like you can't do anything about your skin tone and you shouldn't have to do anything about your skin tone because it's who you are and what you have, you know, and you should be proud of that. Um, and I think it starts with self-acceptance first, like not blaming yourself and then sort of going into then questioning and defending and then, then affecting change. So us as students, uh, we're trying to kind of promote women's rights as well. So what do you think is kind of an effective way to communicate and advocate for this issue? And um, what would our goal kind of be to communicate these messages? Um, first of all, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think that, um, I think that it's so admirable and wonderful that like young students such as yourselves are like taking on such a big responsibility. Um, and I do see like the youth of our generation sort of stepping up, like fighting for climate change, fighting for um, social um, you know, equality, which is so, so refreshing to see. Um, so congratulations already. Um, in terms of like, how to communicate and how to like move it forward. I think that, um, I think that get, getting like different perspectives like you already are is so important, right? But I also think that like Korea, I, you guys are in Korea, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that Korea has very specific um, issues surrounding women and I and I believe it's more so like self-image for women that's a big issue there right mm -hmm. um I think that constantly sort of like critiquing what you're doing and how you're doing it is really important because sometimes when you um when you work with social issues or um political issues sometimes it's easy to get sort of narrow-minded and not see different perspectives. Um, and I think that's really important because you have to understand where the other side is coming from to actually be able to move forward and make, make good change. Mm -hmm. well, um, so we're in the last 
question, which is some future plans that you have and um, what your goal is um, for upcoming years. Yeah, so um, I think my future plans are just to continue to make work. Um, I have one project that I'm really excited about that I'm um, working with a gallery in India for. Um, it's a project that's looking at um, crime statistics towards like crimes against women in India, um, taking all of that data and sort of like making it visually um, comprehensible. And then doing a lot of sort of social outreach with that project, because that's something I feel is really missing in my work. Um, and I've been sort of like really wanting to do it, but in a very meaningful way. That's why I've been sort of holding off on doing it since. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that and seeing where I can grow and learn from those experiences as well. Yeah, so could you show us um some of the works like sure the yeah. statistic yeah yeah um so here it is um these are drawings experimental drawings that i've made for the show already um and so the ncrb they publish an entire volume of crimes against like crimes in india and there's a section specifically for crimes against women and there are 36 unions um, union territories and states in India. And there are 52 categories of crime that the NCRB publishes. So there's a lot of numbers. <laughs> and it's very heavy to parse through because, you know, you're looking at like um, rape and you're looking for murder, like rape with the intent of murder. You're looking at dowry related crimes. You're looking at domestic abuse. You're looking at domestic murders. Like it's just, it's a lot and it's very heavy. Um, and I'm taking these um, statistics and comparing them to other statistics like total population of the entire state union, union territory. Um, I haven't fully decided which way I'm gonna go yet. Um, and I'm using again, like religious uh, iconography or visuals to sort of critique the violence against women in religion and like cultural practices. Um, and this is the basic sort of like uh, rendering for the show and what it will look like. And I'm excited because it's gonna go back to my like installation work and possibly incorporate more machinery. So in this sense, I'm making these woodblock prints. So each of these will turn into a woodblock um, and it will print fabric. So it's very exciting and I'm hoping to you know, make good headway with that. I have a lot of work ahead of me, but I'm excited. We yeah. look forward to see your works as well. Both all yeah. Absolutely. And thank you so much again for inviting me um, to be a part of this. And I, again, like, I just want to say again that what you're doing is really important and um, I hope you keep it up. Thank yeah. you. Um, I think I want to add that we did a lot of podcasts or researched about like women's issue within Korea. So honestly, until now, I thought it was a lot and I knew a lot about it. But after talking to you, um, a woman from a completely different culture where I think traditions are more strongly upheld um, compared to Korea, um, that was interesting. And we really enjoyed um, 
how you developed your artistic yeah. ideas and made them artworks, um, which is also inspiring yeah. as an um, high school artist. So yeah, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us. And yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, and I'm glad that we were able to like learn from each other because I definitely learned from you as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will